Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to Talking CFD with Robin Knowles. It's kind of like my show, but for CFD nerds, prepare to ignite. Hey there, CFD friends, and welcome to another episode of Talking CFD, the podcast that's more about growing a business than growing a boundary layer. Now, I don't talk much on this episode, which is probably a good thing, but that's because I'm listening to someone who has more experience in our space than I've had hot dinners. That's to borrow a phrase from my granddad. In this episode, I'm joined by Professor Charles Hirsch, founder of Numica, one of the pillars of modern commercial CFD, particularly in the maritime sector. Professor Hirsch has been in the business for more than 25 years, and as such, I'm keen to hear what he has to say on any topic related to the business of CFD. We cover plenty of ground from the CFD triumvirate of accuracy, reliability and robustness through to why Lattice Boltzmann's so hot right now. But I'll start, as usual, by handing over to Professor Hirsch to bring those of us who don't know Numica up to speed. Well, we, we develop uh, uh, simulation software for uh, fluid dynamics and multi-physics. So the, the, it's called computational fluid dynamics, but it has been extended uh, progressively over the years to cover uh, multidisciplinary uh, uh, applications that, my, uh, I mean, fluid structure, fluid uh, heat, uh, fluid acoustic. Uh, so the CFD the CFD term involves today more than just uh, fluid dynamics. And uh, so we are developing the, the computational fluid dynamics in the extended sense I mentioned, but it covers uh, more than just uh, algorithms. In, a, in an industrial CFD uh, or simulation environment, you have many, many more components uh, around uh, the kernel, which is the, the fluid dynamic solver, uh, which is the connection to uh, the CAD, to the geometry generation, then we need mesh generation, we need uh, the solver, and then we need post-processing, and then we need uh, an environment, a uh, graphic user interface. Uh, so... The, an industrial setup of a simulation environment is much, much more than just the, the, the kernel of the algorithmic kernel. And that's what you guys offer now, a kind of complete suite. It's not just a solver set, it's the, it's the whole package from beginning to, from, from CAD to Yes, exactly. Results. That, that was uh, uh, the case from the beginning where we, we, where we moved progressively to more and more elaborated environments. Uh, because uh, uh, from from users' point of view, uh, the users expect uh, what what is the most significant part from uh, industrial users' point of view is is the cost of running applications. It means uh, uh, the cost of the engineers, the time of the engineers that do the simulations. So it's very critical to have. Uh, a user-friendly environment that uh, helps the user to uh, guide his choices and also uh, keep uh, his time as effective as possible. And do you particularly concentrate on certain industries or certain markets, or is it well, broad-based? When we started New Mecca, uh, actually, we, we started uh, uh, 
as a spin-off from the University of Brussels of uh, research uh, development we did in CFD, my department at the university. And then we got uh, requests from industry. And so uh, that was uh, 20, yeah, 25 years ago. And uh, so by that time, uh, uh, in the history of CFD, it's interesting that there were already uh, uh, industrial CFD uh, products on the markets. Actually, uh, most of the dominating players today were already on the market by that time. But uh, the, the level of uh, CFD was still uh, very easy. And uh, so... Industry was interested in more advanced products, and uh, so we decided to respond to the request from industry, and we did set up Numeca. And then uh, from there on, uh, the process uh, went to build it, to build around the solver that uh, environment progressively. We had already developed uh, in my group at the university because we didn't have uh, anything uh, around. Uh, so we developed some grid generation, we developed some post-processing tools. So we were, we were able to set up a first version of, an, of a user-oriented environment, and that's how it progressed. So that was a focus from the beginning, being able to offer the full package. Uh, yes, and then to, to answer the question about... Uh, uh, the approach uh, uh, as to we as we started uh, the um, uh, as I mentioned the, the major other software CFD two software companies were already there and they were offering the purpose tools so uh, uh, we decided to do things differently and to instead of offering another general purpose, uh, software, we decided to focus on families of applications. So uh, we started, and that's why we, de we defined, we developed the acronym of our solvers, which is FINE, and FINE stands for Flow Integrated Environment. And so we have tools uh, today, FINE Turbo, which addresses the turbo machinery, world. We have Fine Marine for ship hydrodynamics. We have Fine Open that addresses uh, external aerodynamics, multi-physics, combustion, and so on. So that's the general approach that we take. Of course, behind it is a general purpose solver, but uh, we, we believe that uh, somebody in the marine industry or somebody in the uh, I don't know, energy field, wind turbine, uh, compressors, or aircraft industry, or the automotive industry, they react differently. They have different approaches, different needs. And uh, with an integrated environment focused on these needs from the start, it makes the whole uh, product uh, more efficient from the user's point of view, more targeted, more specific to their particular uh, needs in terms of uh, uh, pre-processing, in terms of post-processing, and uh, so it's, uh, uh, it turned out to be a good strategy. 
Yeah, because it feels like that's a strategy that people are um, starting to adopt more and more. We we hear a lot of about terms like appification and democratization of, of CFD software, but it sounds like um, you've been doing that since before it was a thing, if you know what I mean. Yes, yes, we we did that. We we chose that strategy from the start, and I I, I believe that's why we have been uh, successful. Uh, for instance, uh, with the uh, fine turbo environment, we developed a dedicated grid generation system focused on turbo machinery application, and that grid generation system, which is called AutoGrid is today used by uh, nearly all the major turbo machinery engine companies worldwide. And uh, it's, the, it's the market reference today in grid generation for this kind of application. And uh, it, it has been successful uh, not only because we have uh, highly talented people, but because it, was, uh, it is very, very highly tuned to the specific configurations that people encounter. And we get continuously requests from the industrial customers uh, as their technology moves uh, to more complex designs. Uh, they push us to extend the capabilities of the software to uh, new designs and new visions of uh, configurations. Historically, when you've started out on a new product, has that been because um, users have been coming back to you and they've been using an existing product for something that perhaps you hadn't intended and they wanted you to um, to customize it into, into their application? Or have you seen a, an area that you could exploit and, and made a tool for that? Is it kind of a push or a pull situation? Well, it, it was more, uh, if I understand your wording, it was more a pull situation, I would say, in the sense that we, we have been uh, working in collaboration with some industries uh, as, a, as a university uh, group. But, uh, and then the developments we did uh, allowed industry to go beyond of what they could do elsewhere. Yeah. And that's why they, they, there was the request to respond to these needs, which you cannot do within a university environment. And uh, then we created New Mecca, but uh, then it becomes another, another world in the sense that uh, the, uh, I, I, I regularly remember when it comes to that the distance between a university research code, even advanced research code, and an industrial product that uh, tends to infinity. Oh, wow. The, 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 but it, but to respond to, the, to your request, to your question, I mean, it, it is, it is uh, along this line. So we responded to requests from industry because we had a more innovative product. To touch on the the university aspect of it again, um, in in my experience, sort of universities tend not to be that great at commercialising or making the most of some of the IP that they've got within their research groups, and maybe not spinning off companies and, and taking advantage of that innovation. Do do you still see that? Well, along this line, things have changed a lot because uh, 
20 years ago or so when we started, uh, the university was open to uh, startups and spin-offs uh, activities, uh, but in a more, I would say, in a more passive way. Uh, today, uh, these, all these uh, uh, trends uh, and push towards uh, exploiting uh, search uh, results into uh, startups, into spin-offs, uh, is much, much stronger. Universities uh, worldwide, uh, and especially in Europe, uh, have seen the, the importance of it. And so that has changed a lot since uh, in the last uh, 20 or so years. Do you still work closely with universities? Oh, yes, yes. You know, we, we have uh, uh, university background, so we have many, many collaborations with uh, various industries, uh, universities, I mean, uh, in, in, in Belgium, in uh, Holland, in France, uh, in Germany, uh, in many other countries. So it's part of our tradition. We have, uh, we, we have many trainees from universities every year. We have uh, even uh, master students doing their master degree with us, or even some PhDs. And, uh, and so we, have, uh, we continue having a, a dynamic relation whereby uh, we... Uh, are not hesitating to uh, uh, integrate uh, developments from some universities into our products, and then we have some royalty contracts. So uh, uh, it's uh, quite it's quite dynamic because the the, the research environment is still uh, uh, doing uh, prospective investigations that you cannot do within a company environment. Oh, so they're both innovative environments. They're just different, a different balance. You can only really pursue things that are commercially exploitable now, whereas the universities can look at things that are perhaps more distant. Exactly, exactly. I'd like to get your take on the direction of the, the current CFD market. Like You've seen kind of a lot of changes over the, the time that you've, you've been in business, and we've talked a little bit about concentrating on, on vertical apps, so serving particular industries. And one of the big buzzwords recently has been democratization. Do you see that as a, a, a real push in the industry? Do you, is it something that you guys are responding to or seeing? To be honest, I'm not sure to understand what democratization means. I think in this context, a lot of people refer to it as um, the, the increase in CFD codes that are accessible by engineers as opposed to a, a CFD expert. I see what you mean. Uh, to answer the, fir the first question, there's been major changes in the CFD market over the years. Uh, in, in two directions, I would say. Uh, one is concerned with, uh, is connected to the development of uh, uh, high-performance computing, uh, uh, considerable increase in computing power that we have available. So it means that as a consequence, the industry requires much more sophisticated uh, analysis with uh, taking into account more geometrical details, more detail, more physical uh, phenomena. And so the, 
average uh, size of uh, of a CFD run, uh, I don't know, 20 years ago, uh, uh, a simulation with uh, 100,000 points was uh, already quite significant. Uh, today, an average simulation is between 5 and 10 or, or 20 million points. And so the first trend is towards what we call high-fidelity simulations, which exploit really the power, the computing power we have available. Mm, uh, today, we can do a simulation with 1 million point on, uh, I don't know, on 12 processors in, uh, in a few minutes. Mm. Uh, and that changes the picture mm, and the way industry uses the tools uh, for analysis, but also for design where you need many, many runs to be performed. And the other part is uh, then leads to what uh, you mentioned as democratization is we have to increase the, the user friendliness of the tools. As I mentioned earlier, a key element is the productivity of the engineers using the tools in company. And uh, so we, like others, huh, uh, are putting a lot of effort in making uh, uh, software environments uh, uh, that uh, are not only very user-friendly, but uh, uh, very dedicated uh, that we come back to the, uh, to the vertical approach where uh, in order to be effective, uh, the, the environment has to be adapted to the world and to the vision of the uh, engineers in uh, the different industries. As I said earlier, uh, <clears throat> an engineer developing a, a, a new racing boat uh, has totally different approaches to the way the simulations are set up. Uh, for instance, it's interesting to observe that in ship hydrodynamics, as, op as, as opposite to uh, uh, aircraft uh, or to automotive, the motion of the ship, is an output of the simulation, while in in external in uh, external aerodynamics in aircraft, auto automotive, the motion of the uh, the body is imposed, and uh, that lead that's an example that shows that uh, you cannot have the same output and the same guidance of the user in the same way for the two ty these different types of industry. And that is what, uh, and, and all the software, CFD software vendors work along the same lines. And so uh, if, the, uh, if a tool is there for, uh, for a given family of applications, and uh, if the ease of use uh, is high, it will be used more and more. But it addresses also, it raises also another issue, because the, there are two types of CFD tools. One is uh, what I would call entry-level tools, which are not high-fidelity tools. So entry-level tools are very useful at early stages of the design. 
and where where these tools are very highly connected to the cat environment, so people can change easily the cat and then have a quick uh, indication of the trend of the CFD or the flow behavior and then go back. But then that that is where democratization uh, is of interest. Uh, when it comes to very high fidelity in, in a high-tech industry where the the productivity of and the gain in performance of a product is uh, is more 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 easy complex to obtain. Uh, you need high fidelity tools, which require more time and more effort to to work out. You guys recently released a new product, I believe, called Omnis. Is that to address this emerging? Um market for people who want these kind of easily altered instant results if you like yes yes uh, it is intended to respond to that but also to respond to the high fidelity uh, side uh, let me explain uh, omnis is indeed a new generation of environment which uh, uh, is uh, uh, integrating uh, cat connections with uh, grid generation and with post-processing, including co-processing, which means processing, visualizing the data during the uh, uh, during the CFD run, and uh, it is uh, uh, tuned to high-performance computing. It is multi-users, uh, client-server capability. People can share. Uh, common projects uh, by distance. It has cloud-based connections, and uh, and it has a, a, a functionality where any code, any third-party code, uh, can be plugged in through uh, a, 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 an adequate plug-in uh, system. So. Uh, it is a kind of general purpose environment which allows uh, on our side to to have in one single environment uh, entry level low fidelity lower fidelity software like preliminary design tools uh, to high fidelity software uh, it will also be connected uh, and incorporate uh, the new lattice boltzmann uh, solver we are developing and which is already on the market so uh, it is indeed uh, along that direction you mentioned lattice boltzmann there there seems to be a lot of uh, movement around lattice boltzmann codes um, kind of mergers acquisitions announcements um, why do you think lattice boltzmann is becoming popular again well the lattice boltzmann is a is a technology uh, of a, a numerical methodology which uh, uh, does not consider the fluid as a continuum uh, like we do with the current CFD based on Navier-Stokes equations, which it's considering the fluid as a, as a sum of uh, pseudo-molecules, which is closer to reality somehow. And so it leads to uh, an approach which has a certain number of numerical advantages uh, but uh, it, 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 it is uh, an alternative in some areas, 
Uh, it is used uh, for external aerodynamics in automotive cars initially uh, with the, the major company that introduced Lattice Boltzmann on the market is EXA Corporation, which has been recently acquired by Dassault System. But uh, uh, we believe that the Lattice Boltzmann is of interest in uh, other areas where uh, which are not accessible to standard CFD codes. Uh, for instance, we have uh, uh, applications uh, to gearboxes. If you one imagines the splashing of oil in a, in a gearbox, uh, that uh, cannot be done today uh, with current CFD tools. And uh, there are many applications where this uh, it's called a mesoscopic approximation provides a, a useful alternative way beyond the limits of current uh, CFD tools. And then there are, of course, uh, application domains which overlap. Hmm? For instance, in the external aerodynamics, we are applying uh, Lattice Boltzmann, but uh, it doesn't have the same level of reliability if we to very high re accuracy requirements, like the ones we... Uh, find in uh, in aircraft. You know, in the aircraft industry, uh, the prediction of the drag of an aircraft, the industry expects an accuracy of what they call one count, and one count is one unit on the fourth decimal place of a drag coefficient. And this is very, very challenging, and we are not there yet uh, to guarantee one count accuracy uh, in drag, but uh, progressively we are getting closer. And the traditional Navier-Stokes for turbulent flows uh, might uh, be uh, a better alternative in the future, especially if we go to the what could be the next generation of uh, CFD tools, which are based on high-order methods. So does that illustrate somewhat of a trade-off between perhaps accuracy and reliability? Um, I don't think so, because reliability is, uh, uh, is based on accuracy. You, you know, the, uh, one of the trends uh, in the CFD uh, market, uh, and when I was mentioning high-fidelity requirements, at the end... All CFD tools are attached with a lot of approximation and error sources. And at the industrial level, if, uh, if you are in industry and you have to make a decision on the design of a component, of a new product, and it was designed based on simulations, the key question is what is the trust we give to the simulation, or expressed otherwise, how do we minimize the risk that is associated to simulation-based design decisions? And that is reliability. So reliability here is reliability of the predictions. And that is the key issue today, and that requires... Uh, highly accurate codes, but also being aware and how to monitor the different error sources. 
And then there are uncertainties uh, of the geometries, of uh, operational conditions. Uh, if, if one takes an aircraft flying in the atmosphere, uh, the speed, uh, the wind speed is not uh, constant. Uh, it is uh, varying by, by in a certain stochastic way. So uh, we have, there are no new technologies today which are based on what is called uncertainty quantification. And uh, we have been developing, uh, we have been uh, one of the first in Europe to develop uncertainty quantification approaches in, in for, to guide our software. So the quant every quantity becomes a stochastic uh, and it's expressed by probability density function. So we predict at the end for efficiency, for instance, for resistance, not a single number, but a, a probability density distribution. So we predict a range instead of a single number. And that contributes to the reliability. And uh, that is the key issue today, uh, because many codes have reached a high level of excellence, um, and uh, the industry requires now uh, uh, to develop an approach towards higher trust and confidence in the predicted results and how to evaluate the uh, error and uncertainty sources. In this situation, is there a trade-off between robustness and reliability? Uh, yeah, that's a very good question because uh, I didn't mention it yet. But another key issue in terms of uh, uh, user-friendliness is robustness. And that is very, very difficult because uh, there are many parameters entering in a simulation environment and, uh, and a simulation code, I mean. And uh, uh, certain settings, certain parameters can be more sensible, sensitive to small variations than others. Uh, so robustness is a, a major, major concern because it is not very rationally defined. It's just defined in broader terms that uh, we have one has to minimize the sensitivity to small variations, that there can be small variations of everything, geometry, uh, flow configuration, settings, uh, and so on. So uh, that, is, uh, that requires, uh, on the side of software developers, you know, like Numeca, that requires a, a constant attention. And uh, that's what we are doing. Uh, we are defining... Uh, settings uh, with the maximum robustness, which are probably uh, not always uh, the same as the one providing maximum performance of the CFD run, I mean, in terms of speed. Absolutely. Makes sense. So having somewhat a level of guarantee that there is going to be a solution, that it's not going to diverge. Exactly, exactly. And where do you think the balance lies between that being something that the user is responsible for and something that the code vendor is responsible for? Well, robustness is clearly uh, on the responsibility of the uh, code vendors. Because the, the, the users are generally the victims 
of poor robustness because they run the codes and uh, they they will run the codes uh, very often uh, with uh, settings and conditions that uh, uh, there are you know there are so many possible uh, combinations that we can never test all of them so uh, the the users are uh, they they are they can only give feedback that uh, this and this configuration uh, they experience the robustness and then uh, we look at that and uh, and improve uh, what has to be improved an ongoing process trying to uh cope with the people who are pressing the buttons we're getting quite close to time so i've just got one kind of last question for you that after 25 years in the business i'm wondering what still excites you about being involved in cfd well it it is a first of all it's an uh, an ending world of uh, challenges because for instance one of the challenges today is turbulence and uh, Turbulence, uh, there is now 100 years of research in turbulence, and uh, there is still no turbulence model that is satisfactory mm, for all uh, flow configurations. Mm. As soon as uh, one has uh, separated flows, all the turbulence models are uh, getting poor results. And that's part of the issue of reliability and of uh, uh, accuracy, and uh, now we are going to, uh, due to computing power, to large eddies, to, to direct simulation of turbulence. But that allows a better knowledge, but it's very expensive in terms of running time, and it cannot be used in an optimization environment. So there is still a lot, a lot, and we are engaged in in some some projects, European projects uh, to, to along these directions. So it, 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 the, the, the more the industry and the technology and the computer power changes, uh, new challenges appear. So the, that's why I say it's a never-ending row of challenges and that keeps, uh, it keeps you alive and excited. <laughs> Sounds like a uh, a life's work. I want to thank you for coming on the show today, Professor Hirsch. I'll put links in the show notes to some of the products that we've talked about and to your website and things like that. But it's been fascinating listening to your perspective on some of this. If people want to get in touch with you, um, what's a good way of doing that? Well, first go on the web. So it's newmeca.com and, uh, and then on LinkedIn and uh so there are many entry points for contacts. Uh, we have many webinars. Uh, we have uh, uh, many documents. Uh, there is a plenty of videos on YouTube. The, the interested listener could uh, access and visualize a nice uh, flow configurations. Uh, I mean, for those who are interested, uh, just to say on uh, in uh, the uh, boat racing and the America Cup. At the last America Cup, the two the two finalists, uh, which were Team New Zealand, was won this this time, and uh, Oracle USA, both were using Numeca software. So you were guaranteed to win. Yeah, we we tend to say that we won the new America Cup. 
<laughs> it's always good to have something like that for people to visualize as well. Yeah, and there are nice videos to be seen because uh, that's quite spectacular, and there are many others. That's excellent. I'll link all those in the show notes for people who are interested. And I just want to thank you again for coming on the show. Yeah, you're most welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Bye.